0: The kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning again, church. So glad you're here, and if you are Rodney's mother in law, we are especially glad that you are here. I just want to make that, make that known, but we are so happy to have you this morning. Hope you've had a wonderful weekend. It's a beautiful day outside. and We're blessed to be here. So thank you for your presence here this morning. Somebody was blowing out there, not let Satan blow out their light back there. And it sounded like they were spitting everywhere. If I'm ever invited to your birthday party, I'm not eating your cake. So I don't know what that was. But uh, so glad y'all are here. If y'all will grab a Bible or open up your app, we're going to start a series today that I am so excited about. It's been about eight, seven, eight years since we've walked through the Sermon on the Mount together. And this morning, we are going to jump into what is Jesus' most concentrated, most intense definition and form of what the Christian life looks like. Many have called it the manifesto of the kingdom life, and it is Jesus' invitation to live completely different, to live according to his if and to the reality of God's rule and reign right here and right now. So I want to pray over this this morning, and then we're going to jump into what will be an introduction, a reminder lesson, but also an inspiration of saying that is what Jesus wants for each of us. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for the day. As Coleman reminded us in prayer just a moment ago, Father, we come broken. But you come and you you mend us. You restore us. And God, you invite us. You invite us to a new life, to a beautiful life. And Father, may we be challenged today. May you... Move in us, may you do your best in us, and may you transform us. God, I pray that we will start to understand that, that what you want first is not an outward expression, you want an inside out transformation, one that starts deep within our hearts and moves out. Father, teach us that today. May you give us imagination again to live the Christian life, may you give us a heart and a yearning to live like Jesus. But most of all, Father, I pray that you will increase our love for you. May we desire you as our one and only goal in life. We love you, Lord. And it's the name of our Savior we all pray together. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard this one before, but it's the old saying about marriage uh, that says, marriage and the secret to a great marriage is learning to do problem-solving together. Solving problems that you wouldn't have if you were still single. (laughs) Nobody amen to that. I'm glad. That goes along with another statement about problem solving, that church work and church life would be so great doing church together if it wasn't for all these church people. Amen? Yeah, Well, we won't amen that one either, right? We're going to talk this morning about problem solving. And I'm going to start by asking a tough question What is your problem? Sounds like I'm trying to start a fight. What's your problem? But really, I'm asking, What's my problem? But more closely to the heart, before the Sermon on the Mount goes, is asking, What is our problem? Not problem as in something bad or or we're messed up. Of course we're sinners. But it's the problem of where do we go wrong in Christianity? What is the things that we miss? What is our problem? Because following Jesus, as you know, has never been easy. And it's not supposed to be. It's not all roses and wonderful things that happen in the Christian life. But in many respects, following Jesus here in this place, in our world, and in our culture, is getting a little more difficult. Now, it's much easier than it is in other places around the world. But to follow Jesus in any context, in any place, in any culture, is not supposed to be easy. Jesus is never going to be what leads common thought in any culture. He is not a quick fix. He is not self-help. And there are no spark notes to the kingdom life. Jesus says the way is narrow. Not a gate to get into heaven, but a life lived here and now in the kingdom. Now some would say it is even getting more difficult to be a Christian here. And there's truth to that. There's less and less people in our world becoming Christian. Maybe our world, I'm talking our culture. Not across the world. There's more and more people becoming Christian in the global south. But today, less and less people are coming to Christ. Even fewer are attending church services. The fastest growing p- group of believers in America are those that identify with no church. They still believe, but they say, We are nuns. N O N E S. We are those who believe but do not affiliate. And it's also true that less and less people view the Bible as a source of inspiration, morality, wisdom, or even a safe place to find direction in their life. And that is even true within church buildings. To add to that, biblical understanding and literacy is way down. And of course, it could go on with all the bad news. And for a lot of us, the problem is, very disconcerting. It's disappointing. It's disorienting. When we as a people move from being the center of the culture and get pushed out to the edges and the margins, it can make us feel as if the sky is following. It is difficult. We are living in a post-Christian America, and there's nothing that you can do To stop that. But there is something we can do in us. So, what is our problem? In response to the world that we're living in, there's been probably three major responses. Unfortunately, for some, the first move is a response by many, if not some, I don't really know. Some feel this movement towards marginalization, and they cry, the world has changed, we're facing persecution. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. There's a big, big difference between being arrested for holding a prayer meeting in maybe Iran and not being greeted with a Merry Christmas when you walk into Target. There's a big difference. One is actual persecution. The other is simply whining about loss of perceived opinion and position and privilege. Others see this change. Maybe not as just a whining about persecution, but they see the change in the world, and they want to respond to it, and they say, well, the problem is, is we're not matching fire for fire. The problem isn't persecution. The problem is we need to match tit for tat, and we need to fight the culture war they see it not as an opportunity to live more like Jesus but an opportunity to engage and fight fire with fire it was last year that a one popular culture warrior who will go unnamed was speaking to a group of young people teens and college students a group that by all outward appearances seemed to profess Jesus as lord But he said this, and his message was met with applause when he said the following, and I quote, Jesus' command to love our enemies has gotten us nowhere. The same sentiment was shared in 2018 when a Christian leader was being interviewed by a reporter, and the reporter asked this Christian leader, again, a man who will go unnamed, She said, Why are so many Christians willing to support political candidates who revel in disobeying disobeying the teachings of Jesus? It's a good question. Question I've asked many times. The leader gave this response He said, I think we are finally glad that there's somebody on the playground that's willing to punch the bully. The reporter, in response, kind of with wide eyes, said, what about turning them their cheek? Isn't that a Christian teaching? And the man replied, well, you know, we only have two cheeks. I strongly hope this morning that you are not in agreement. Now, still third, in response to our problem, probably most of us don't fall in Camp 1 or 2, but for most of us that claim to follow Jesus the movement of our world and the pressure we feel as Christians has made us take a less divisive approach. We would probably never say it out loud or admit it. This one's more imperceptible. It's very subtle, but a shift has taken place. Mostly because we don't like or want or handle conflict well. So what we do is we accept the way that things are because they're better than the alternative. And in a lot of ways, some of these, or maybe all of these positions are all the same. Whether it's Christian leaders fighting the culture war or Christians just hoping to blend in and kind of hope that the problem will go away. The unfortunate truth is most of us have decided that we're going to just follow Jesus up to a point. We've decided probably never in a vocal way that Jesus' teachings are fine when they're dealing with smaller or lesser issues of just being nice to people, but once weightier issues of the culture or power are at stake, well, then we can't take Jesus too seriously. And so the first thing to go is Matthew 5-7 through the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to posit today that What's our problem is that maybe our problem is not that we take Jesus too seriously. What if our problem is that we haven't taken Jesus seriously enough? Christian researcher George Barna said this years ago as he spent his life researching and talking to Christians. He said American Christianity has largely failed since the middle of the 20th, 20th century because Jesus' modern-day disciples do not act like Jesus. Whew. Thanks, George. Well, I believe this. If Christianity has a future, and it always will because it's God's church and not ours, but if it does have a future, I believe it's in us re-engaging a world, not with hostility, but with the experience we all know that is true. Because in my experience, I know that our world is hungry still for people to give them a better way. One that shows integrity and character and kindness and love that is revealed most of all through Jesus' sermon on the mount. See, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we're going to unpack today really briefly is an invitation to a new life, a new way of life, a turned inside out by the Holy Spirit way of life that is upside down according to the ways of the world but is full in in our submission to this way. This is the way, Jesus says. The narrow road. The way to build your life on a rock. The way that displays the way of Jesus. And Jesus' sermon is our solution. It is our invitation to let God do his best in us and change us from the inside out. And so this morning, I'm going to let you experience the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to hear it this morning not the whole thing I'm going to give you an abridged and somewhat paraphrased version it's written by a poet named O.D. the wordsmith and it's brilliant not because of his brilliance but it's in his brilliance of being able to capture the genius of Jesus so I invite you to get comfortable for the next few minutes this will take about seven minutes to read I'm not going to perform it very well I'll do my best, but I want you to hear this this morning and lean into it and see the invitation, maybe again for the hundredth time or maybe renewed for the first time. The invitation of Jesus to live like he's called us all to live. The Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor and the sore and the meek. Blessed are the pure and the unsure and the weak. Blessed are the short. Blessed are the slow. Blessed are the dropped outs, the burned outs, the washed outs, and the left outs. Blessed you are when people disrespect you, disregard you, disinvite you. Blessed are the dist. Be very glad. Be very glad. You are living a dream which is mostly unseen. Things are not what they seem when you seek First, the kingdom of God. You are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your flavor. You are the light of the world, so let it shine. Live in such a way that when people see you, they say, what a good God, God must be to have created such a person. Now, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to steal them. I have come to fulfill them. The law is not the source of goodness, but it will forever be the course of goodness. Take this from me. Unless your goodness surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not live in the kingdom of God. You will only be trapped in the kingdom of self. Conventional wisdom has told us, so long as you don't or haven't killed anyone today, you have obeyed the law not to murder. But take this from me, anger will murder you. Leave that anger at the altar. Your heart will be an altar, or your heart will be altered by anger into a factory of hate. Conventional wisdom says sexual purity is a matter of avoiding wrong actions. Cut off your hands, pluck out your eyes, achieve spiritual maturity by the loss of bodily parts. Or you could let me change your heart, give you a new start, take over each part. I could change the course of your divorce. Let's rearrange the source of your discourse. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Every spin or sin comes from down below. Conventional wisdom says eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I say turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. Turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. Give that shirt off your back. Conventional wisdom says love the lovers and hate the haters. But that hate you have will choke. That hate you have will break. Your father loves everyone. That sun he gives for everyone, that rain for everyone. So love leads, love gives, love suffers, love bleeds. Learn to love like that. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be approved by them. That's an affliction, it's an addiction. Your life will become fiction. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. Outsource your generosity to your habits. Make it like tying your shoes or tying a tie. It's not even news. Not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. They want to be seen. They want to look good. They want applause, which is a lost cause. Unseen, unknown, in secret, alone, God's near. He hears our Father who art in heaven. Great is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we in turn forgive the sinners. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When you forgive other people, if you forgive other people, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't, He won't. When you are fasting, live like you're feasting. Don't advertise or disguise. Make the good an inside job. And then it will sneak out when you're not looking. That is the reward. Who you become from your Father who is unseen in the kingdom which you seek first is all that matters. Therefore, do not store up treasures for yourself on earth. Take a lesson from a junkyard, rust, moth, and thief. Put your money where your mouth is, then your heart will follow. Your greed you have is hollow, one master, only one that you can be. Who will it be? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you eat or what you shall drink Your body and what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air. They have no ulcers, no high blood pressure, no colitis, but they are all fed by Chef God. And look at the lilies of the field. No labor, no hardship, but they are all beautifully chic. However, if you live this way, you should learn to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Seek first the kingdom of God and the true inner goodness and all else will come a la carte one day at a time. Do not worry. And judge not lest you be judged. Your measure will become your treasure. Remember the speck. Remember your plank. Remember the pearl and remember the pig. Help those pigs but save your pearls. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. This is how you approach God and honor others. A life without planking, without judging, without engineering your own way. If those who are evil know how to give good gifts, imagine your father. Ask the father. Trust the father. Thank the father. So in everything... Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is the Bible in a tweet. Will you be my disciple? Will you intend to do what I say? Will you come and walk with me? Will you enter through the narrow gate? Will you follow, surrender, live as if I were you? Learn to revel in obedience. The broad way is to do anything else. Following the herd, ignoring my word, letting your heart be unwashed and uncured. Will you be my disciple? By my fruit, you will know them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Will you be my disciple? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do impressive things, lead impressive lives? And all I will say is, I never knew you, away from me, evil doer." Will you be my disciple? Everyone is building a house. With every choice and every moment, you are building a life. You can't not build a life. And every life and every house will face a storm. It will come without warning. You can't not face a storm. So therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice displays heavenly wisdom by building a their life house on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not live them has given into foolishness by building their life house on the sand. Rock, sand, stand, fall. Will you be my disciple? O.D. the wordsmith, 2020. Whew, it's good, isn't it? not because of OD but because of Jesus see our problem is and I don't point fingers at anyone but myself so I'll answer this in the first person what's my problem it's that I want a route to heaven but I don't want to live in a heavenly way I want a route to heaven but I don't want to live in the heavenly way And Jesus, in the invitation of the Sermon on the Mount, invites us into a new realm, a new possibility, a new way of thinking. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' best, most amazing, most concentrated teaching on this is the Christian life. It's His invitation. It's His invitation for all. The poor, the weary, the hungry, the grieving, the merciful, the meek, the pure, and the persecuted. An invitation to freedom, an invitation to be free from those things that grab us the most, anger and lust and enemy making and grudges. It's an invitation not only to freedom, it is an invitation to authenticity, to a life that is a yes when it's a yes, and it is a no when it is a no, an open life, one that is lived out on display so that others can see God and glorify Him. It's an invitation to live. As chapter 7 says, to live without judgment. And as chapter 6 says, to serve and give and worship without motive. It is an invitation to build your life on a rock. To build a life on something that will last. And Jesus calls it, being salt and light. As I close, I want to just finish with this because I know that there is debate, although there should be no debate about this question, but a lot of people have asked the question of is it really possible to live like that? Is it possible to live a Sermon on the Mount life? One of freedom one where we invite all, one of authenticity, one without judgment, one that serves without motives, one that loves the enemy and prays for those who might wish us or do ill? Is it possible? Well, yes and no. The answer's no if you've been trying to do it out of your own efforts, gritting your teeth and working hard. The answer is no if you believe that church is done by doing all the right things and following all the right rules. Look, we're the church. We crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. That is not the answer Jesus gives. Can you live that way? The Sermon on the Mount way? The narrow way of Jesus? By uh, your own effort? You won't and you can't. But the answer is yes, it is possible. When we are born again, born from above, as Jesus puts it in John 3, washed in the blood and filled with the Holy Spirit, submitted to the king of the kingdom, we can live this life. It's when we let the kingdom come and his will be done in Jake as it is in heaven. It starts with me when it starts with you. It's an inside-out transformation. One that starts here in the waters of baptism and moves out into every part of our life. A famous Christian writer named Scott McKnight was asked one time about that question. He was asked, is it still possible to live the kind of life Jesus speaks of in Matthew 5-7 through and in Luke 6? The question was actually quoted this way, is the Sermon on the Mount still important today for Christians? This was in 2021 when he was asked this. And in response, Scott McKnight answered very pointedly. Everybody leaned in. It was at this conference. Everybody wanted to hear what he said when somebody asked, is the Sermon on the Mount still important today? And Scott McKnight answered this way. He said, well, I will just answer your question with another question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Or not. And that was all he said, because that was all that mattered. See, Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount with these words not as an ethereal, theoretical idea, but as an invitation. With what He said for three chapters in Matthew and in your Bibles, what He said as He sat on that hillside and gathered His disciples around Him, He gave them an invitation to an incredible kind of life. And He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. I cannot do that on my own. I cannot build a life on the rock without you and without Jesus. But may it be, may it wonderfully and hopefully and joyously be our desire as a church to display the way of Jesus in the life of Jesus by the way we live. So the people stop and they say, whoa, look at that, that looks different. And we can say, yeah, it looks like Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you need that today, if you need a fresh start, a restart, a new start, I hope you hear this invitation. Honestly, we probably all got to get on our knees and repent. We probably should. We should repent, not because we're bad or we did something horrible, but because we have been going on a long adventure of missing the point. Where we've made church about church and not about Jesus. Where we've lived lives of going through the motions and not letting the motions change us it takes repentance it takes humility and it takes God getting first last and middle that's the invitation next seven weeks we're going to unpack this it's going to be fun it's going to be challenging But if you need anything today, a fresh start because you need prayers, a new start because you're ready to put on the kingdom, baptism is your way. It is our way of saying I am leaving behind the way of the world to accept the way of Jesus. Whatever you need this morning, we are here for you. Let's stand together and sing. I heard The story of a savior came from...